Well, um, today what we're going to look at, or what we're going to, um, the title of the sermon is Psalm 25.1. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. We're actually going to be looking at the book of Daniel. So if you want to move ahead into the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, that would be great. The, um, most of the translations, in you, Lord my God, they, they say, I lift up my soul. Okay, but in, in my translation, I put my trust, Psalm 25.1. <clears throat> so we'll be looking at the book of Daniel here to, uh, to see how this applies. I was just recently at Ohio State Coaches uh, Wrestling Clinic uh, a few weeks ago. And I had a, just a wonderful experience because I got to see... Um, I got to see somebody named J.D. Bergman. He was um, third at the national tournament. Okay, He was number three to go to the Olympics. Uh, the guy that made it to the Olympics won it from our country. So it was a very, very tough weight class. I got to see him give his testimony for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And this big, tough guy, you know, told all these men, all these coaches that went, which were quite a few, you know, uh, how God has changed his life. And then I got to see um, a guy by the name of Tervel Delagnav. He came to the United States when he was four years old with his um, parents. He placed fifth in the Olympics just this past year. They both train in, in Ohio. And he gave his testimony, which was the opposite end, but it all led to the same place. And, and this guy is on fire for the Lord. This is a big, burly, 285-pound heavyweight. And uh, he, uh, he, got, he, was, he didn't make much of this, but he got hurt in his training late, right before the Olympics. So he didn't practice on the mat for like a month. Still ended up placing fifth. Was disappointed because he had beaten the Olympic champion months before that. So those four are still training. They're training for the next four years. But they told us about... Uh, you know, their love for the Lord. So then, in an hour and a half, I'm hearing all these things happen. So then, uh, one of the highlights was Urban Meyer was going to come talk to us, spend a little bit of time with us. So he comes in, and he, man, I'll tell you what, this guy's fired up. He makes you sit at attention and pay attention. <laughs> you know, I love Coach Tressel, um, but Urban Meyer has that. He, you have that healthy fear for him, you know, I can, <laughs> you know, and I think that, that being a teacher and coach, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, so we were all like kind of, you know, he, he's intimidating, but he was, he was giving a message and in that message, he was talking about sacrifice. And, um, he said, you know, it's not why we're here, but just as Jesus sacrificed on the cross, Just as he gave that ultimate sacrifice, you know, he said, this applies to our team. This applies to your marriage. And uh, it was it was powerful. He said it at least twice. And he has every single coach's attention. It was powerful. So in an hour and a half, I got to see how I'm, I'm just awestruck by how the gospel is moving forward. And then. Just this past week, I had a low point, and like like a lot of you, the the election results, 
I couldn't stay up anymore. I had been looking forward, which I, I should learn my lesson, to watching you know, the news when I got home. And I'm like, this is terrible. I'm going to bed. Anyway, so I woke up in the morning and found out the results. And, and part of it is because my team lost, so to speak. So part of it is prideful. Part of it is uh, my personal preferences, um, you know, lower taxes, limited government, that type of thing. But I was, I think what I was most saddened by was um, the country, in my opinion, moving away from God. The hit that the, hit that the sanctity of marriage took and, and the right to life cause. That was, uh, that was sad uh, to me. I know people have differences. Um, you know, and I'm not here to, uh, to to get into that right now. But I see a church moving away from, from God. You know, can the church say right now, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. What bothered me the most, I think, and this isn't statistical, verifiable data. This is kind of anecdotal things I came across. I noticed that there were people that were, um, if it's a teeter-totter, there were people that were were voting for their job, for their livelihood, as opposed to life. And, and these were evangelicals. They were, they were saying, you know, God, God can't, you know, I'm going to have to take care of this on my own. I'm going to have to vote, in my opinion, in the flesh instead of in the spirit. And, and, and that's what made me the most uh, sad, I think, is because I saw that, and, and I think it made a difference. So, People in that regard, voting for their livelihood as opposed to life. And, and, you know, deep down, do we really put our trust in, in God? Is God not strong enough to take care of our job and careers and livelihood? But you know what? I'm also to blame. I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't... Um, I didn't serve those causes well enough. So, so I'm to blame. You know, if you, um, you know, that one, that one cause, you know, God could uh, easily and, and may very well be doing it, judge our country. And, uh, you know, you read Ezekiel 7, and it is scary when God is fed up and it had enough. So, despite this... Uh, Setback for marriage and life. You know, I know that God's in control. He's sovereign, and in Him alone we can place our trust. He sets up kings and deposes them. His ways are higher than my ways and our ways. And I'm actually excited about the future. But my question here is how do we, the church, move forward in a culture? that tends to value stuff more than innocent lives. A culture that ridicules Christianity at every turn. A country that mocks God. We're going to take a look at the book of Daniel and these four young men, the lessons that we can learn from them. You see, God was their constant. They witnessed one of the most powerful kingdoms on the face of the earth, this earth, the Babylonian kingdom. Yet they were solid in their deeply held belief that God is in control. And one day everyone's going to see it. I'm going to give uh, just a, a, 
it's going to go kind of quickly. A summary of some, some interesting, some valuable points in Daniel 1 through 4. So we're going to move around a little bit. How can this help us impact society in which the God of this age, Satan, seems to be taking ground? Well, uh, as I said, we're going to look at chapter uh, Daniel 1.1. 1, 1. I'm going to go ahead and read this, um, probably most all of it, and then I'll point out a couple things here. So we're in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Uh, I taught social studies a couple of, uh, for two years. Now I'm back to teaching math. And we studied about King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And then I go to the Bible and I'm reading about Nebuchadnezzar. You can read about him in Second Chronicles, I believe. And I think Second Kings. And there's some other places. It's fascinating to me. This, uh, this strong king of history we're going to take a look at here. He besieged Jerusalem. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Who delivered the king of Judah? The Lord did, along with some of the articles in the temple of God. These he carried off to, his, to the temple of his God in ba- uh, Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after this, they were to enter the king's service. So here we have these, these four young men that we're going to talk about. They were taken from their homeland. They were, they're going to be trained... Um, to, to serve for the king. So they're serving in this pagan country. These people that, you know, uh, love the Lord their God. These are teenagers. These are young men. In some of the, um, the uh, translations, you'll see the word children. So who were these young men? Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, ones that you're probably familiar with. To Daniel, maybe not this one. Uh, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel, I love this, this young man resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. So this young man, um, you know, I've seen several or a couple of reasons possibly why uh, this food, this wine would be offered up to, to, to idols, and that was forbidden. But also, I believe that the Holy Spirit was working in their lives, and the Holy Spirit put it upon their hearts that they were not to do this, but because God had something in store for them, something big, how they were going to affect their culture. So Daniel goes, what I love is, he resolved. You know, he had this in his heart. He resolved he wasn't going to do it. But how did he how did he handle it? He went and asked for permission. He asked them first for permission. I love that. He wasn't 
passive aggressive. He wasn't behind the scenes trying to sabotage. He he went right to their face and, and in a you know in a respectful way it seems asked for permission. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, he basically says, "Hey, I'm afraid. You know, this is this is this could be an issue. I'm in charge here." Daniel says, "Hey, let's test it. Let's test it. See how it goes." And you'll see when we eat, uh, you know, a proper diet that it's going to work. Okay. And and he did. He said, please test your servants for 10 days. Okay. Give us nothing to eat but vegetables and and water to drink. Then compare our um, appearance. And he did. And uh, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier. It says this in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature, learning. Daniel could understand visions that he was going to use for God and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set up by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, finally. And as the king talked to them, he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In matters, catch this. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and chanters of his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, which was the Persian Empire. These guys, God was their constant. In you, O O Lord, I'm sure they prayed, we put our trust. So what do we learn in chapter 1? Despite God's judgment and The nation of Israel was judged. You can read about this. Jeremiah talks about this. Israel was disobedient in their covenant keeping. They were disobedient with the Sabbath years and idolatry. And God judged them. God judged them. And I believe these young men knew it. Some of the other kings that were vassal kings back in Jerusalem, back in Israel, they didn't realize it, even though Jeremiah tried to tell them And they were demolished. But these young men did that. So despite God's judgment on these, despite God's judgment over Judah, these four young men thrived in an oppressive culture through allegiance and obedience to him. God rewarded them with gifts to be used for his glory. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Chapter 2, he has a dream. I encourage you to go through and read uh, Daniel. We uh, we're studying this in my um, in, in our connect group, and uh, it's just a it's a wonderful book, wonderful book. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and his mind is troubled. He couldn't sleep. I don't know about you guys. When I can't sleep, there's big trouble. You know, there's soon around the corner there there's trouble. Well, he has this dream, and he can't take it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has just taken over for his father. He's powerful. Um, You know, he was, uh, I believe, a general. And uh, this guy doesn't mess around. He is known for being a tough, tough king. And so he does something kind of interesting. He calls in all the astrologers and magicians and sorcerers and enchanters. And he says this to them. "I've, I've had this dream. I want you to tell me what the dream is, and then I want you to interpret it. And they say what we would say. What? They said, you tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. He says, no, I've firmly decided 
that you're going to tell me this dream and then interpret it. And if you do not, I'm going to cut you to pieces and turn your house to rubble. Wow. Wow, that's, uh, that will get your attention. Will they continue to, to go with him? No one can do this. This isn't possible. How can this happen? Well, the king, he's fed up with it. He says, enough. He orders all the wise men in Babylon, all of them, the entire job description to be wiped out, which includes Daniel and his three friends. So Daniel catches wind of this. And um, in verse 14 of uh, Daniel 2, it says, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put the wise men of Babylon to death, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. So Daniel, once again, confronts. He sees something coming, and he goes and speaks to them face to face with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to ask the king. So he has the guts also. He's probably motivated from, from legitimate fear, but he goes right to the king and asks for time so that he might interpret the dream. Daniel returned to the house with his friends, and he says, hey, guys, we've got to plead for God's mercy. This is what's getting ready to happen. So they had an all-night prayer meeting. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. It says, then Daniel praised God. In verse um, 20, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness. And light dwells in him. I thank and praise you, O God my, of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me which, what I, we have asked for. And you had made known to us the dream of this king. So, Daniel saves the day. He goes back and tells the king. Actually, it's very interesting what he interprets, this dream. So this dream is given to this king, and he interprets it. Basically, um, and this is what I love about the Bible also, God is the only one who can declare the end from the beginning. You look, there's no other book, no other holy book that God tells you beforehand what he's getting ready to do, and then he does it with 100% accuracy. Uh, I've heard scholars say 25% of the Bible, when it was written, was prophetic. And I, I love the prophetic nature of the Bible. But God tells us what's going to happen. What is he telling here? I would, I would encourage you to read it. But he predicts the Babylonian Empire, which was already in there. He tells about a statue and the different um, metals or the different substances of this statue. And when you read through there and interpret it, he talks about the Babylonian Empire, the, uh, the Greek Empire, the, the Persian Empire, Persian Mede Empire. I got them out of order. Persians come next. Then the Greek uh, Empire with Alexander the Great, and then the Roman Empire. So pretty fascinating what he tells here. Well, the king is pretty impressed. The king is pretty, pretty impressed. In fact, here, here's, a, um, 
here's something else that we need to learn from Daniel. Um, In verse 26, the king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw? And, And Daniel says, no wise man is able to tell you, but there is a God in heaven that can tell you what's getting ready to happen. He reveals mysteries. Very humble. Did not take credit for it. And then skip ahead to uh, verse 47. The king said to Daniel after he told him, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this. Then he placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. By relying on wisdom and discernment, from an all-powerful God, we can help solve problems in our culture. And our culture has many. Bringing renown to the living God. I think that's what we can pick up from that. In chapter 3, um, the a DVD series we watch, he entitles this, Bow or Burn. Okay, The image of gold and the fiery furnace. Probably if you're familiar with anything in Daniel, it might be uh, what's going on in here. But basically, uh, when you look into this, King Nebuchadnezzar now builds a 90-foot-tall gold statue. And, and um, some people, I, I haven't thought of this, thought maybe it was something that looked, maybe looked like his dream. Okay, in his dream, he saw a statue. That's a possibility. But for whatever reason, he builds the statue. And um, possibly... These enchanters and sorcerers and uh, all these people, astrologers, even though Daniel had saved their skin, so to speak, I can see where if you when you're reading this, they probably set uh, set up the uh, Jews here to take a fall. It's what it appears to be. And uh, so so they build this statue and and, and the the. The law is, hey, when the music plays, no matter where you're at, fall down and bow to this statue. It seems as if, you know, these guys, maybe through envy or whatever, have come up with this and they have the king agree. Who knows? Maybe the king just came up with it himself. Well, they knew these these young men weren't going to do this. This is their way to get them. Now, Daniel is actually absent. If you read through through this, Daniel is not in this story, maybe he's, you know, off as an emissary in another country. We don't know. But Daniel wasn't here. So they, they do this. They, they set up the law. These guys go back to the king. King, I don't know if you know this, but these Jewish, these young men, they're not bowing like you said. You said that they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace if they do not bow down to this gold statue. Think of a 90-foot-tall gold statue. It's amazing. It's huge. Well, the king calls them in. And you can tell, almost tell from the text, that he, 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 he feels something for these people. He likes them. I, at least that's the way I read it. And he, he gives them another chance. And this is not a guy that gives other chances. He's like, maybe you didn't understand this. But we said when the music plays... You're to bow down. So I'm going to give you, you know, you're going to get another turn to do this. Let's give it another try. And, and, and they go back and forth. We'll look at uh, verse uh, 20, 
verse 28, please, of chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O O Nebuchadnezzar, we do, do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So I think, um, you know, God is speaking to me, I know, through this. What, what images, what idols am I trying to tear down and, and keep propping back up? Okay, I need to be more like these guys. I will not bow down to, these, to this image. See, God's power can help us to resist all the idols that compete for allegiance in our lives. And there are many. The avoidance of idolatry will result in God being praised. In Daniel 4, I told you I would quickly go through this. In Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar himself writes this chapter. It is an amazing chapter. Now, before this, Nebuchadnezzar, he gives, um, just to go back, after, I guess I should finish the story. They are thrown. <laughs> the, the king is so upset, he, he heats the fire up seven times hotter. He, bind, you know, he puts them, binds them up, throws them in. Guards get killed that are throwing them in. And he sees inside of it four people moving around. And I personally believe it was a, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. But it may have been an angel. Um, so he's like, what's going on in there? You know, they're walking around. They come out of the furnace. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar, of course, is, is just uh, blown away. And he praises God. But, but he doesn't praise him as somebody that he's chosen yet. Look at uh, verse, uh, it's Daniel 3, 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except for their own god. So then he decrees, he issues a decree But notice that King Nebuchadnezzar hasn't given his allegiance yet to the God of the universe. Understandably so, although, you know, this is a pagan civilization. But God seems to be really trying to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention here. And he he does, once again. In uh, chapter 4, he has another dream. He goes and asks... This time he's not as harsh. He asked the enchanters and astrologers and magicians to come in and interpret it. They can't. They bring Daniel in. Um, now, Nebuchadnezzar's telling this whole story. He's really fired up in the beginning of this, this chapter because he's explaining what has already happened to him. Because I, I read it and I'm like, why is he so excited? But he's, he's going back and retelling what had happened to him. And so... Daniel comes in, it's, it's uh, this tree, and Nebuchadnezzar 
is this tree. I mean, he spreads through the whole earth. He is the king of the earth as they knew it at that time. He reigns over everything or so he thought. And uh, Daniel says, um, I'm disturbed. I think Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar built a friendship. Uh, they, they had a, a bond. And Daniel and these young men affected Nebuchadnezzar, may have affected his eternity. Um, Chuck Missler, who does the uh, DVD series, says, I am not going to be surprised to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven when I get there. I would not be surprised. And um, they affect this man. So he, um, he's excited telling this story. But anyway, Daniel says, King, I wish this were about somebody else, but it's about you. Well, what is it? Tell me the truth. So he gives it to him straight. You're going to be cut down, just like this uh, vision says. You're not going to die. I mean, the, the, the stump doesn't die, but it's cut down. And he, he predicts that he's going to basically lose his sanity for, for seven years. He's going to go off and live with the wild animals and the dew and, you know, his fingernails and hair. I mean, he's, he's going to be a mess after seven years, as you would imagine. And that's exactly what happened. One year later, King Nebuchadnezzar is looking out over his vast kingdom. And some people, uh, when I taught... Social studies, we talked about the hanging gardens. I don't know if you know anything about the hanging gardens. They think that these things existed. And uh, one of the kings had built it for his wife, who was a Mede, I think. And he brought her in from a different land. But anyway, it's, it's supposedly gorgeous. And they had the ziggurats. And it was just a very temples to worship their gods. It was a beautiful city, a beautiful kingdom. So he's looking out over that one year later. And he's like, man, look what I've done. I am awesome, you know, one of those things. And we get that, those moments. Immediately, uh, it came down just as it was foretold, um, just as Daniel had told him. Immediately, he is seven years. God judges him and shows him that, no, 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 you've got it wrong. I've been trying to get your attention, and you've got it wrong. I am the one. So look at uh, verse uh, 34 to the end. Um, sorry, Daniel verse 34. The dream is fulfilled, is fulfilled. 12 months later, I'll get to verse 34 in a second. 12 months later, as he's walking on the roof, is this not the great Babylon I have built by my mighty power and glory of my majesty that did it? That did it. Immediately what he had said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from his people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claw of a bird. After seven years, check this out. This is where this excites me. This, this, um, this gives me hope. Verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High God. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases. 
With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that same time, his sanity was restored. His honor and splendor was returned to him. His kingdom was was returned. It is said that he lived, they, they believe he lived another year. But what a year it must have been. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the known world at that time, a pagan... They had so many different gods when you study the Babylonian culture. Um, in fact, the, the four young men, their names were some kind of god or, or, uh, or um, given to one of the gods. It meant something in regards to one of the gods. This man, his life has changed. If we put our trust in the Lord our God and remain obedient then we can be part of God transforming lives. Well, I want to end on this. I I would encourage you to uh, dig into the book of Daniel. Okay, I want to to end on this. As I told you, uh, Urban Meyer talked to us. I want to tell you a little bit about what he related. He related, um, I think, what basically is the theme here. And you... Oh, Lord, my God, I put my trust. He said um, after after the California game, the Cal game, uh, he said, John Simon, uh, those of you who know football, he's a defensive lineman for Ohio State. And uh, Urban Meyer said, he said, he's 22 years old, but he's a man. He said he's one of the top five people he's ever met, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> but... Um, he said, John Simon can barely, he, he can't even lift his arm above his shoulder. And so they almost lose the game. At the end of the game, John Simon gets up to talk to the team and totally loses it. Breaks down. Urban Meyer said, he said, I was, it bothered him all night. It bothered him, you know, the next day. Here, this kid is giving everything he can give. Given everything he can give. Can't we, the coaches, can't the other players give that much? I think that's what God's asking us now. Can you give more? Can you put your trust in me? So he, so they, um, I'm assuming it's on Sunday. They're not allowed to call it chapel, but they had a chapel. They call it reflection, he said. And so, um, those of you may remember this name, uh, a gentleman by the name of Butler Bonote. By the way, I believe, I don't still have this magazine, but my, my wife and I got married on our honeymoon. We went to the awesome place of Indian Lake and stayed in a camper. And uh, <laughs> I had a recruiting magazine, and Butler Bonote, I believe, was in that magazine. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> You might be asking, why did you take that? Anyway. <laughs> but Butler Benote was a running back for Ohio State, and he, he must be a chaplain or a preacher or whatever. So he gives, his son, he gives this sermon to these men, and, and Urban Meyer said, it changed my life. He goes, I see things differently now. And so Butler Benote said... You know, Urban said, I was tough on my coaches after that. We've got to give more. We have to be all in. And so that was kind of the theme of this, uh, this chapel ser- uh, sermon. 
We have to be all in. He said, when you love something, when you love something, a thing like a team or a person like your husband or wife or in this in this regard, God, when you love God, you've got to be all in. He said it's three things. He says CST, it's commitment. When you make that commitment, when you commit, it's no longer a choice, it's a command. When you're totally committed, you don't have choice in the matter anymore, it's a command. Amen. And second is sacrifice. You have to lay down things, you have to kill things, you have to kill the flesh, things that are counterproductive. He gave examples of things on his team, drug, alcohol, you know, that... Uh, uncle who's saying you should be playing more you have to you have to cut that off if you're all in you have to sacrifice how do you kill the flesh you don't feed it and then time you have to give up your time it requires time and god is is saying that of us he's saying will you be all in this is the time will you commit will you be totally committed Will you sacrifice and kill the flesh? Will you give your time? Will you give me time? Not just Sunday mornings, and that's great. Show up Sunday morning. Give me more time throughout the week. Give me more and more time. You won't regret it. I want to spend time with you. If we do this, and I encourage us all, I'm talking to myself. If we do this, we're going to be like these four young men who in this culture... Just see what they did with the king. I'm sure, you know, the Jewish nation was returned back several years later. But think how many lives they changed. Like these four young men, if we do this, if we commit, totally commit, if we sacrifice, if we give our time to the Lord our God and put our trust in him, we're going to make a difference in this culture for the living God until Jesus returns. Why don't you stand?